0: Welcome to the Employers Legal Lounge with your host, Michael Sullivan and Associates Managing Partner, Eric Dewam. Each month, we dive deep into a specific topic to provide you with valuable insights and guidance for navigating the complex world of California employment regulations. This podcast is provided for informational purposes and does not constitute legal advice. Only your attorney, with complete knowledge of the facts and circumstances of your situation, can determine how the relevant laws apply. Now, on to the episode.
1: Welcome, everybody, and happy holidays. Uh, Welcome to Employers Legal Lounge. My name is Eric Dewan, Managing Partner at Michael Sullivan & Associates Employment Law Department and your host uh, for Employers Legal Lounge. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for coming. This uh, podcast is... For uh, employers, HR professionals, risk managers, manager supervisors, uh, insurance carriers, brokers, and all the like, anybody who really wants to keep up with the wild, wild west of California employment laws and trying to stay compliant. Uh, Before we get started on uh, inviting in our special guests and what we're going to talk about today, I want to take a quick moment to thank everybody who has watched our uh, and listened to our uh, first podcasts um, this season, and thank you so much for the wonderful feedback, the questions, the involvement. Um, it's, it's been a wonderful surprise and we're really happy that it's making um, a difference. Please continue to give us feedback, ideas for other podcasts, the kinds of experts you wanna hear from um, and ideas. And along those lines, what we're going to do going forward is use a system called Slido. And it's an app-based system where you can do uh, putting your questions and feedback. So um, there's a bit.ly link for it. It is msa.news forward slash ask dash Eric. And there is also a QR code. So I'm going to hold this up for a second and tell you the link one more time. So those watching on YouTube can uh, take it. And those listening can listen to the link again. It's msa.news forward slash ask dash Eric. And you can put your questions and feedback um, on there. And we will uh, try and answer them the next time around. I have some questions from last time that we'll answer in a little bit after we invite in our special guests. So um, without further ado, I am going to invite in our first guest. Who actually needs no introduction because all of you, I'm sure, uh, remember my co-pilot, Tara Fournier, our py- our pirate president as well. Um, always my uh my 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 partner in doing our presentations around California. Welcome back, um, Tara. Thank you for being here.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be back in the lounge again and talking through some really interesting stuff today. I'm excited about our. Other special guests today. Too. So I
1: me too. To, me too. Before we invite in our next special guest, um, one thing uh, for everybody to know: as you know, we uh, Tara and I do building airplanes in flight, uh, and I think we're on uh, episode eleven uh, by most people's count. Um, so uh, we did the CILU, the Cal- uh, California Employment Legal Update in Burbank and Anaheim in October together, and it was had. Such great response that we're going to do an Inland Empire Riverside um, presentation in January. On January 24th in person, uh, Tara and I will be there doing a building airplanes in flight uh, uh, presentation, talking about leaves of absence, return to work and all that kind of great stuff and answering questions if you're out in the Riverside area. So please join us. And um, again, we are going to have our special guests, Kim Burley. Pease is going to be joining us. Kim um, is coming to us as the Vice President and COO of Merriman Investigations and Forensics, uh, Digital Forensics. Um, Thank you for joining us, Kim. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I have to give you both um, kudos. I listened to both uh, of the first two podcasts and I'm not HR, uh, but I had some really good takeaways. So um, well done. Kudos to you both.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Kim. And It was so uh, wonderful to um, to meet you. We did a presentation, uh, Tara and I, in uh, in November uh, mm-hmm. for Pyra and in Malibu.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: Malibu, th- the yeah. ma- yep, the Rosenthal Winery, uh, and which was a lot of fun. And we met Kim, and we started talking about these stories about the uh, these the, these war stories of employers dealing with digital issues and um, and document management, especially when it comes to litigation. Is where I see it. And we bring in experts um, trying to find those emails, trying to find those text messages, trying to figure out what was taken. Um, and that is um, an area that uh, Kim specializes in. So uh, Tara and I both thought, hey, this is a great uh, subject for our listeners um, and preferably to get ahead of it and know how to deal with these things um, before there is any type of litigation or the need for litigation um, and uh, to get prepared for those types of things. So, Kim, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, before I have you uh, tell us a little bit about Merriman, I want to, of course, it's the Employers Legal Lounge, and what we do is we bring in our favorite beverage, uh, whether it's hot cocoa, tea, um, you know, something a little bit stronger as an adult beverage. So uh, I want to, uh, my beverage today is a little eggnog, which um, may have inter- inadvertently had a little bit of Bailey's popped in there as well uh, for the season. Uh, what did you bring with you, Tara?
2: So mine, I am a pina colada fan, even though it is not the season. So uh, mine okay. is the Always sparkling, the sparkling ice drink with just a little bit of an adult, you know, special elf uh, magic <laughs> inside of it. So <laughs> okay. that is my drink of choice today.
1: Fantastic. What about you, I have a
3: sparkling apple cider
1: today. Love it. Love it. So um, before we get started, our beginning cheers um, to to both of you. Um, Happy holidays to you. And thank you for being here.
2: Thank you for having us. Yes,
1: it is. It is my pleasure. And um, before we get into um, uh, the topic for today, I wanted to answer a few questions from the last podcast that we received. One of them was um, we talked a lot about compliance audits. So uh, people were asking, "So what does this mean? What are you know? What are we supposed to be doing?" So what I mean by a compliance audit is um, a bit of a nuts and bolts shakedown of your organization from not just and people always you know do their handbooks and they update those right, but they don't think about the real logistics of what the company's doing because the laws change so quickly. So it means handbooks, arbitration agreements. Your, um, your actual practices and timekeeping, meal rest periods, right? If you're doing waivers, if, um, if, uh, and one of the big things is making sure, um, and this is one of the big pro tips for this year, if you're doing any type of rounding, that should be stopped. There's a lot of case law going on right now that is um, largely what we're hearing from the courts uh, should not be happening anymore. So rounding time uh, should not be happening. Rounding meal periods definitely uh, should not be happening. So making sure all of those policies are shaken down. And where I'm seeing these, um, I just did seven mediations on PAGA related claims. And, oh, and there we go. There's Tara uh, for those uh, not watching. Uh, but know about our PAGA game, oops, sorry. Uh, every time that word is mentioned, we take a little sip of our beverage. So to make sure people don't have to take a sip every two seconds, I will also say Private Attorney General Act, which is our, I, I know Tara's looking at me, go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. Um, the Private Attorney General Act, which is um, kind of a class action light, which we're seeing a lot of those in California against employers Um, and these are coming in by the droves. As I said, I just uh, resolved seven of those for clients this month alone in December. They are big issues. Um, One of the big issues always happens to be rounding because it's in the case cases right now, and plaintiff's attorneys are under every rock trying to take advantage of that. So um, that is a pro tip to take out rounding if you have it in your compliance audits. An other one to be very careful with is before shift and after shift work. So what we're hearing now is, and it's not intentional by employers, but the 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 bar of when an employer is actually suffered or permitted to work, which is the time where they're supposed to be paid, it keeps getting getting moved up. So it currently in the cases um, gets to things such as putting in a PIN code to get through a gate or to get through a door or turning off an alarm before they actually get to clock in um, for work. So make sure in your policies that they are in the time uh, card reporting, that that time before they're actually able to get in and punch in is accounted for because that can account for off the clock work, which can be a very big issue. It uh, is a big issue. It goes into overtime. If the employees have left, it goes into waiting time penalties, um, if uh, which is up to 30 days of pay for each employee um, and attorney's fees. So it's a very big issue. I'm not saying there aren't arguments against that because this bar keeps moving, but it is uh, an area we should be ahead of the curve on in these arguments. Um, And it's better to capture that in our policies and our practices. So um, those are your PAGA tips for today. And yes, I said that one intentionally before we get into, Get into uh, Kimberly talking to us a little bit about Merriman and what you do before we get to some questions for you.
3: So, I have um, a really interesting background um, that led me to where I am today. Um, early on in my career, when in the 20s and 30s, um, <clears throat> I would install computer systems. I worked for a software development company that installed business management systems. And then as I went through my career, I became a CIO, a chief information officer, which was basically the head or or director, if you will, of technology. Um, And then from there, I sold technical solutions to businesses. Uh, And then from there, about, well, 2002, I started a company called Citadel Information Group, and it was how to secure programs and how to secure data on all this technology. And I sold that company about three years ago, um, and I just bought into uh, Merriman and Associates and we are, as a partner and a COO, and we are a digital forensics, cyber investigations, and incident response company. So if if you know anything about information security, a lot of what the industry, a lot of people call it cybersecurity, um, it's on the proactive side it includes audits to, to to your point Eric about compliance audits it includes how are you uh, complying with generally accepted information security principles um so that's the, the 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 proactive part of protecting yourselves and your business the reactive part is Merriman and associates we do have some proactive forensic readiness um, programs and services that we do but Um, It's mostly litigation support. Um, Whenever you have uh, an incident involving an employee or uh, someone takes information when they leave or what we call adverse termination, Um, you call in digital forensics to make images of laptops and servers and pretty much any device you have. Um,
1: Yeah, that's exactly when we were first chatting. uh, That's exactly where we um, cross over very much is when we get into litigation, one of the first things that the other side wants are images of computers at issue emails, um, you know, the, uh, the digital data, how a document was made, who are the authors, how do you, you know, and all of that type of um, thing, people really don't think about on the front end, right? They don't think about um, in you know, anticipate litigation that every somebody on the other side is going to be diving in to their IT. Um, and it's one of the reasons I really wanted you here to kind of talk about what that looks like and um, and what we can do to shore up and prepare for something like that. So our documents and our IT and our um, databases are, are as clean as possible yeah. um, in doing it. Yeah. Um, so what are your... Um, Uh, we talked a little bit about um, you and what we call incident in what you call incident response Mm -hmm. type of issues when they're called and say, Hey, we have an issue. And what does that, what does that mean? And what does that look like?
3: Okay. So from our perspective, and remember, I'm not HR and I'm not legal, but from our perspective, we refrain from saying the word breach to us in digital forensics The word breach should only be used by legal because it has so many, it can have so many connotations. So an incident um, is something that happens to a device or a laptop or a server, or it could be theft of a device. Um, An incident could be an adverse termination. It's something that is out of the ordinary. It's not your norm. Um, it could be what we call a blue screen of death where your computer system locks up and all you see is blue.
1: Don't even um, say it out loud. I know, it's terrifying.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it could be, um, again, people taking information as they leave the company, whether it's an adverse termination or they're just leaving employment. Um, and And so when you have an incident, when a business has an incident, it behooves them to call in the experts up front. Because as you know, as an attorney, um, and I'm sure as you know, uh, Tara, as HR, um, what is IT's main function? IT department's main function is to keep things up and running, right? So if something bad happens, what do they wanna do? They wanna keep it up and running. The challenge with that is they, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, they trample over the evidence. They um, change. They update things. And once that evidence, just like a you know a murder scene, once that evidence is tainted, you know it's hard for us in digital forensics to be able to really find concrete evidence to support any case or any incidents, if you will.
1: So judgment calls really are at stake there, and that happens in you know our compliance world as, as well. Uh, employers have to make judgment calls as to hey, we know what the risks are but we have to keep on, you know, doing X because this is what our business does. We understand the risks, so we have to take some risks. And in your situation, IT is saying, hey, we have to keep the business going. We have to keep doing things. We have to keep updating. We have clients that, you know, are reliant on us, but that also could impede the investigation of something very important, right? Right. Um, So I think it comes down to how critical, how big an incident, I won't say breach, how big uh, an incident uh, is out there and what we're actually dealing with to, you know, inform, you know, the employer, the business, you know, what they're, what they could be doing by continuing without putting a halt on the IT processes. And and let me
3: be be clear. It's not always IT trampling over evidence because they have a lot of pressure from C-levels or executives or managing partners that says, get that stuff up and running now. And even though, they know changing, you know, updating, re- reinstalling, reconfiguring uh, may change it. So there's a lot of moving parts, and specifically around incident response, it just behooves a company to prepare um, for these types of events. Because thirty years ago, it wasn't a matter of you know, it was a matter of if it might happen. Well, here we are in 2023, soon to be 2024. And it's not if anymore. It's just a ticking time bomb in every single organization out there.
2: It's definitely a when. And I think, you know, if I don't, if you don't mind me weighing in here um, from the HR perspective, this is why I think the most important relationships in a business are the, the partnerships between HR and legal and IT. I think that's kind of like the triumvirate, right, where you all have to be in lockstep because it isn't a matter of if, like Kim's saying, it is a matter of when. I mean, I could tell you stories from my history of, of times where things like this have happened. Employees have left the company and they're angry and they do things to try and, you know, exact their revenge or whatever you want to call it. And um, you know, sometimes inadvertently things happen because an outside party has come in and decided to to try and um you know harm the company. So I think you're right, Kim, in having you know, having a plan, how do you think, um, you know, just realistically and operationally, what is the best way if we don't have one in place right now, you know, how do you recommend getting started putting that together?
3: So an incident response plan, let me just get a little geeky here. There's business continuity and there's incident response and there's disaster recovery. And it's, it's terminology that in my world, very different things, but and out there in the business world, they like to glom it all in one. So an incident response is something very specific, and usually, I'll say 95% of the time, usually it has a technical component to it, right? As I mentioned those examples, the blue screen of death, or somebody got an email that says, you know, we're gonna ransom your your data, or um, so to start, you have to have a team together, and, and you're spot on Tara, HR, um, in law firms, managing partners, um, in businesses, you need the IT people. You need the digital forensics people because our focus is different. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, but the IT people are focused on what they have and the logging. Um, and digital forensics, we need specific information, and we don't care what device it is. We don't care what firewall you have. We don't care what you you know what you have for antivirus but there are specific things that we need to to ensure that we have the evidence that we need. So creating that team together um, is, is the first step. Get the right people in the room at the right time at the same time. And just start talking about what if scenarios. What if a system goes down and your IT person is out of the office or on a vacation? Um, What if, um, you know, cyber liability insurance, what do we do? Because some of these cyber liability policies mandate that businesses call insurance within a certain amount of time. And sometimes in incident response, you don't have all the information that you need, which is why it's so important to have the the lawyers on the line uh, to ensure and guide us as a team to what we can do and what we can't do, and what we can say and what we can't say, and where to store things and attorney client privilege. Um, so having that team together first and then having a plan. And the plan comes out of who do we call, right? We ask, we ask the owners, we ask the managing partners, we ask the executive team, who do we call first when we when we um have an incident? You know, let's say servers are down, let's say, you know, 20. Of our lap, uh, laptops are encrypted and nobody can get access to it. What do we do first, right? The, we know what the technology people are going to try to fix it, but they need executive guidance and legal guidance uh, about what to do first. So I think so, so. Get a team together and 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 have these workshops and have plans.
1: I think that's really a fantastic idea, and I don't think most organizations do that. Is and we have teams for everything right? Um, And I I think having these um, response teams are really critical, because the the way organizations are today, and we just can't get around it, most of our businesses rely on the technology, right? And if the technology is down, or we're hacked, or something like that, or it's stolen, then not only us, but clients um, are affected, you know, the entire business is infected, and can come to a standstill. So I think of, and we have these types of teams to deal with compliance, to deal with HR and employment laws, it makes sense to create this type of team in an organization. So I think it's a really good, um, really good tip that I am actually going to take um, for my firm, uh, too, because we are getting um, and it's this is happening to m- many firms, but we get uh, these emails on a daily basis that are disguised as, you know, other partners, right? Mm-hmm. Asking for, you know, and I'll get a legal assistant going, did you ask me to, you know? Um, to to do something today, Eric? I'm like, uh, no, I have no idea what we're talking about. And there'll be an email that looks exactly like it would be for me. They're becoming so sophisticated. And we have all of these checklists of what looks like a fraudulent email or a spam or a hack. And it's it's becoming harder and harder to discern um, those types of things. So- um, You know, I
3: want to make a comment about the word compliance. Everybody's so afraid of that word compliance and complying with- frameworks and complying with contractual agreements and complying with the laws and employment. Don't be afraid to conduct these audits. These audits are identified. Their, their whole purpose is to identify risk. And, yeah. you know, if you make it safe for your in your culture, and this is where HR comes in, if you make it safe for people to go, oh, there's a hole over here, or there's risk over here, or we yep. didn't configure this device here, or we didn't train our people here, you know, that surfaces something that we can address. One of my favorite clients um, a couple of years ago, it was a CEO. We were all on the phone um, talking about information security and compliance with HIPAA. And, mm-hmm. and we were all telling him what we had done in the past year. This is what we did. We impl- implemented this. And then he turned it around and said, that's all fantastic, but what haven't we done? what haven't we still focused on what risks do we not know about and I just thought the way to do that is to audit audit right. on an ongoing basis so don't be afraid to to identify and 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 you know talk about these risks that are uh internal
1: it's a great question what haven't we done and I can tell you especially towards the end of the, the year um, we are backlogged with uh, clients trying to do these compliance audits mm-hmm. and I can tell you that you know, when people are actually afraid, they're like, hey, we don't want somebody just going through all our systems and we're doing pretty well, so we don't want to worry about it. Um, I'll tell you that every single one of my clients that resolved a Haga or class action recently, every single one of them has uh, requested a compliance audit because mm-hmm. they've been on this. Oh, sorry. I didn't <laughs> even get my drink and I said it. Um, but uh, every single one of them is saying, we, we want this. We need this. We don't know. What we don't know. Um, so, uh, Eric and team go digging and see if there's anything there. That's a problem because it's really hard to be compliant in yeah. California. Um, most organizations have something they're not compliant in and they just don't realize it. So,
3: which is why you're never going to be hundred percent compliant, but if you manage it year after year or month after month, it becomes part of your culture. It becomes part of your you know, your DNA as a business that you're always doing continual improvement. What can we do better? What can we improve? What can we do next, next month or next year? Yeah, that's
2: really important. Sorry. No, go. I was just going to say, I think it's really important. And I think one of the things that, you know, as an HR professional, it's it's trying to keep up with all the laws and trying to keep up with everything that changes all the time. But that's not even enough when we're talking about, you know, cyber things. And, and I know a lot of times HR is being targeted. Hey, I made a change to my payroll. Can you add my direct mm-hmm. deposit and, and things like that? So I think what would be really helpful for me and, and maybe my HR professional friends out there is to understand kind of what our cyber criminals targeting right now. And you know what? Um, what are the red flags we can look out for? Because I think us knowing ahead of time where that first layer at the organization with the emails coming through, how do we, you know, what suggestions do you have for us?
3: Great. Question. So it's a great question because HR, you guys are targeted all day long. Why? Because you are where the money is, right? Accounting is where the money is, and so to Eric's point about receiving these emails, there's something called BEC, business email compromise where the cyber criminals send an email to the director of HR or to the payroll lady or whoever and say, hey, I'm a partner in this uh, you know, firm and I wanna change my direct deposit. And if your employees are not trained or they're afraid to go question, go back to the sender, go back to that partner, go back to that executive, to say, hey, did you really, did you really email this? And and Eric, you you said at the top, your partners are doing it. You're comfortable with partners. You all have authority in the organization. But it's when the email comes from someone higher on the totem pole, down to someone lower on the totem pole that says change this or do this or direct, you know, change my direct deposit because I changed banks, whatever.
1: They feel uh, compelled to do it.
3: That oh, And they will, because they want to do the right thing. They want to, you know, be that overachiever and get things done and get it off their list of things to do. Um, and they never even question it. And that's culture. That's where you guys in HR have a huge opportunity to influence behavior.
2: Definitely. And I think you know, it's not just that. There's so many other pieces of information. There's the money, but there's also the data. And mm-hmm. I think there's other things too, you know, oh, can you send me that re- that last report? And it might have, you know, all your employees' names. And now you've given somebody everyone's first and last name and, you know, whatever it is. And then that just, you know, they're little crumbs that you might be leaving for somebody inadvertently,
3: for sure. Um, you you remind me of, I had a phone call a number of years ago from a woman I had never met on the phone. I say hello she immediately starts crying and I had no idea who this woman was. And she said, I'm a director of HR. I just got an email from the owner who said, please send me the W-2s to my personal email. And the email was correct, except for one letter. It was off by one letter. Um, and she went back through later and verified the email. And um, it was it was not legit.
1: So, so all of these W twos went to a third party that yes. had nothing to do with the or- that's yikes boy and it's so easy to make mistakes like that right mm-hmm. inadvertent kinds of errors. Yeah. Um, what would be like the biggest pro tip of us? I mean, because we're constantly dealing with emails and data and stuff like that, to know when somebody's trying to hack us or trying to you know pretend there's somebody else. What do we look for? Um, on these emails, and these exchanges that would, okay. So a, the number
3: one thing is stop clicking on the links. Yeah. For example, if you get anything from Facebook or Twitter or any of the social media, you don't need to click on the link, log in to Facebook or log into LinkedIn and see the message there. Um, uh, courier services, FedEx, United States postal service, UPS couriers, whatever, Don't click on the link there. Go to FedEx.com and type in the tracking number or copy and paste the tracking number, right? Um, um, Social media, couriers, banks, Amazon. If you stop clicking on those types of links, it's never going to be down to zero because we send each other documents, right? Right. Um, But DocuSign is another one. Stop clicking on the links that will dramatically decrease the risk of getting hit by by a phishing email,
1: yeah, I think I've gone into the reverse side. I almost don't click on anything mm-hmm. uh, at this point. So uh, it, it whether it's in a text message or an email, um, I try and find another way around it because uh, the danger of it is so high. And that's uh,
3: a good point. Not just email, text messages, any device that has yeah. that has a link. Great
1: point. Yeah, we get a lot of those um, on on text, mm-hmm. um, and now you know voicemails; those types of things they're everywhere. So it's yeah. everywhere around us. It's not something we can avoid. Chair, mm-hmm. um, there was um, I put a kind of a pin in it, but I heard you mention that you had kind of a, a little bit of a war story, and I'm actually going to because it sounded kind of interesting. So I'm going to bug you about what that war story was. Uh, All right, that you mentioned earlier.
2: Well, I will say um, this has happened. In a, in a far past. So don't go looking on my LinkedIn and trying to figure out where it came from. So I have to keep that (laughs) confidential guys, but I can tell you without saying the names of the innocent, this has actually happened. Um, we had a professional it, um, person that was in charge of it and in charge of, I guess, cybersecurity, if that was even a thing then at the time, I think it might've been. And, um, We had made the decision to replace this person. So we did so and um, seemed very fine. Uh, About a week later, somebody shows up, um, you know, my CEO and some other people show up saying, hey, what happened? I had the blue screen of death. What happened? And so and what our team did, our IT team did, just like Kim said, is they wanted to fix the problem and get business running again. And they started to look and try and see, like, where did this come from? What IP address did this come from? And this particular uh, person was a remote employee. And, uh, again, in charge of IT, in charge of cybersecurity. And when we checked the um, the IP address, it pinged right back to the very small town where this person was from and was the only person in the company that lived in this very remote part of the country. So it was very quickly, um, you know, understood that that is what happened. And, and, and for a while after that, there were little things that we were finding or, Oh, the Facebook page, you know, account now doesn't work anymore. And there's just little things that were happening. And um, it, it actually turned into um, a, we called the local police and said, Hey, we don't know what this is. We don't want to you know do anything, but we want to, we want your help. And, and, you know, helping us figure this out because somebody from your town appears to have done this um and they did their investigations we handed everything over to the authorities and and they were able to um, actually find criminal charges for this individual so um it was it was pretty wild and it it was um a very interesting uh discovery because this person was in charge of you know had the keys to all of our of our access so no, yeah I, I wish I would have known you back then, Kim because I think way back then I would have I would have probably handled it uh, differently and 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 called somebody external more quickly
1: yeah the, it, it's always story. those in trust positions and that I think mm-hmm. you probably did really the right thing because I think many organizations would be tempted to try and just handle it all themselves right because they're incited by this and they want but I think handing it over to a third party is probably better with some of these investigations um to make sure we take out the bias element of it um so i think that's also a really good tip when you get involved in these things is getting a third party to deal with it whether it's law enforcement or investigator um you know uh merriman those types of things i think makes a lot of sense but wow Uh, i'm sure you have some horror stories too um kim things that have happened why don't you tell us about a few things that you've seen so we can kind of get a feel of what is going on out there?
3: So what we're seeing is um, people when they leave employment, um, not necessarily in an adverse situation, but when they leave employment, they're taking information with them. Um, And where that leads can be they're starting a competing company. We've seen that quite often. Uh, or when they leave, the person left behind, or the IT person, or whatever, doesn't have a checklist of to lock them out because it's not just about changing passwords um, and locking them out so that you know people can't go back in. We were working on a case just recently where the employee left and tested his login, and he wasn't IT; he was a he was a operations person, and he logged back in and started using the tools. Um, to generate quotes, like he did in his previous job at somebody oh. else's, so we see a lot of wild stuff like that, where where just because processes aren't in place, like you mentioned earlier, Eric, onboarding processes and offboarding processes, and and you know we did a a pretty big adverse termination a number of years ago, um, and we had a 300 item checklist. To go wow. down and make sure. Well, it was a larger company, hundreds of employees, five different locations, um, four different IT people located in different places. And it was the director of IT who had access to everything. He had keys to the kingdom. And he had been there for like 20 years. So he knew about oh, wow. all the passwords, there, everything. Yeah. everything, everything, everything. Um, and and again, it's just because people don't know. Most people don't know how to manage technical technical people. Um, they speak a different language. You know, they're not as, I won't say not as disciplined, but they don't have formal frameworks that they can, you know, comply with, or if they, um, there are formal frame, frameworks out there, but IT people just don't follow them. They don't have to. No one's, you know, holding them accountable, so to speak, um, and making sure that they're following good practices within setting up system and hardening guides and, you know, we didn't have to do that 30 years ago. We bought a firewall, we slapped it in there, we changed the password, we configured it in a way we thought was the right way to do it and away we went. We can't do that now in 2024. We've got to understand the devices. We've got to go down through every single um, setting and configuration on those devices.
1: Yeah, you um, you mentioned this checklist and I want to come back to that, but you, what you're bringing up now was kind of on the tip of my mind exactly, which is um, employee theft of company information.
0: Mm-hmm. I am
1: seeing a massive spike in that. And anybody who has listened to me and knows me, you no, know, I will always say, um, never confuse me with a plaintiff's attorney or we can't be friends <laughs> because I am only defense and for uh businesses. That being said, the exception to my rule is um, bringing actions by employers uh, when there is company theft. And I'm doing that actually more and more recently um and employers get this idea because they're so afraid of all of the laws in California and for good reason um and uh they get told by a lot of these attorneys oh there's nothing you can do about it right uh if you go against an employee you know it's not going to look good and you know it's always on the employee's side and when we're talking about theft and fraud and um stealing proprietary information that's not the case um and it um it it is something you can take action for And you should take action for um, because, you know, you're setting kind of a precedent uh, that won't be tolerated. And we are seeing um, employees, you know, leaving with client lists, leaving with, you know, proprietary information, preparing before they leave. Because even if it's a termination or resignation, they know the writings on the wall one way or the other and they're preparing for it and they're sending stuff to their own private emails. Right. And then we go in and we try we track that down. Uh, they think they deleted it. And then we bring in the forensic experts to undelete because nothing's ever really deleted, is it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is what I've I've been learning. So all of those things are really on um, a rise and I'm seeing it more and more. Um, so make sure you have those really solid policies about what the repercussions are for theft and confidentiality and trade secrets and all of those types of things because they're really important. Um, and don't feel like your hands are bound just because it's an employee that does it um, because that's not the case. Um, and very often what happens is there can even be a, a ongoing action where the employee initiates an action. And I have cross actions against the employee on these theft issues, um, as well. So it's
3: really important. It's the same thing as you, as the lawyer and you Tara, as the director of HR, the importance of an employee handbook, right? It's an important document to be able to communicate expect or set expectations. What you're talking about is specific policies and standards for information security, how information is handled. Um, And so if you have that framework there and you repeat it annually, because just like the employee handbook, what do you do? You give it to them when you're on board and then you never touch it again. You've got to repeatedly tell them and make sure they understand. And of course, if there's any changes, it's the same concept with information security policies as well.
1: Yeah, uh, um, I, I think that is one of those things also to update for this year because the um, the requirements on those changes with the Privacy um, Acts of California, and they're a little bit more strict. And uh, we have all, all sorts of new requirements, especially with non, uh, non-compete non agreements, which are now outlawed, all those types of things. So updating those policies, making sure that you can enforce these when you're actually going against um, an employee on this issue, you want to make sure you don't have violative po- policies, prohibitive policies on that end. You want to make sure they're fully enforceable because um, it's, co- it's contractual, right? It's a contract that you're making them sign. And also that's another key point, make them sign it, right? Just sending them in an email does not make it binding on the employee. So making sure they actually sign these documents and I understand we update these all the time and you know the tendency is just to say, oh, these are the new documents um, and they never track who signed it and who hasn't. If you ever want to enforce them, it's really important you actually get them signed uh, with the updates. Um, Kim, why don't you give uh, uh, us a few of those most important items on the checklist? And what I'm thinking of right now is this, um, because when we let a regular employee go, we kind of have a good sense of, you know, they don't have access to the IT and the passwords and, you know, the the keys to the kingdom, so to say. But what about those that are C-suite type people, um, HR, who you know handles and knows everything, accounting, IT? What's kind of the you know top five things to ch- check off the list when somebody like that is intended to leave?
3: Okay, so first again, I can't stress it enough: have a team of people, have this conversation. It doesn't have to be an hour long. It's just we recognize the importance of of securing information. We recognize that IT. Um, you know, has access to everything. So have that because the first thing we're going to do, if you call us, if you, director of HRs, call digital forensics, we're going to say hire the attorney. Get the attorney on the line first. Um, so, and, and and if he's part of that team, if that person uh, is part of the team already, you don't have to call him. He knows what the what the process is. The other thing is change the contact information. Um for your technical vendors or technical service as a cloud like AWS. So what the IT people do is they make their name the authorized primary contact. And if you go to fire them and you wanna make changes to your own stuff, a lot of times these third parties are gonna say, sorry, you're not this person that's named. So what we say is for the authorized primary contact make it an owner make it a managing partner make it someone that's you know going to be around for a while with the business and then the secondary name can be the it person Um, we had a a, um, great idea termination where the it person's name had been there for 20 years his name was on every single account we couldn't change anything we had to write letters we had to, you know, have the attorneys come in and say, how do we say this? So it's on our letterhead and it goes to these third parties that that because it was a covert termination. We didn't know right. it was being terminated and we didn't want them to do um, bad things. So that's the first. And first thing is change their names. Really and good not idea. The primary, but the secondary. Um, another thing is understand that a lot of technical people intentionally put what we call back doors in, in case they get locked out of a firewall or in case they get locked out of somewhere, they put in a back door for themselves to be able to get into their own systems, right? Ask the IT people, do you have a back door? What are the passwords? What are, uh, because again, I'm not the legal, Eric's the legal, but passwords, especially administrative passwords, are legally owned by the company. So, so would you agree with that, Eric? That
1: 100% what, what you started, um, what, what, my work. On... That seems
2: like a big, big, important thing. Say that one more time.
3: Get a list of all of the administrative passwords that your IT people have set up because that way they can't say, I'm not gonna give it to you. It yeah. may be against the law not to give it, but they're still not gonna give it to you. And then they walk away, right? And, and then and you don't have access, administrative access to your systems.
1: And mm-hmm. the direct question of, do you have a, uh, a back door to get into the system? So what my, the wheels that we're turning on this as I'm as I create these policies, one might be a an uh, affidavit disclosure that says I will not, you know, be creating any backdoors without formally informing the organization in writing of what that, um, how to access it, and how they can independently access it. Right, um, is probably a really good line to have with your IT because it this really is. It, it, I mean, our organizations rely on it, so that just gave me an idea, and that's not something I normally do, but it's a. Um, now that you bring it up, I think that's a great idea.
2: I think not only IT, for example, in HR, there's lots of system. Our HRIS system and there our talent acquisition, our ATS system. There's a lot of systems that we use that have confidential and proprietary information. So I would not limit it to just IT. I would think anybody that is an, a primary person on any account that's owned by the, the company, um, although IT of course, but I don't wanna lose sight of of all of us as well. I mean, and as HR professionals, I think, you know, it would be smart of us to do the same thing and make sure we have backups and, and all of that as well.
3: It's a great point. Yeah. What I used to do when I was a CIO many, many years ago, over 20, 25 years ago, um. I would, cause we didn't have password management tools. We didn't have one password in LastPass years ago. So I would write it down on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, seal it, and put it in um, the safe of the executive's you know room or in the payroll lady's uh, safe in her room. So that it was, we knew where, or the executives knew where to get those administrative passwords. In the event that I either went rogue or you know moved to Jamaica or got hit by the proverbial bus.
1: Wow, have these I, backups. See, so um, these are are fantastic, and and Kim, um, because we're at time, and I try and keep us at uh, at the mark for everybody. Um, I, but I do want to provide these, um, as well. Uh, so if we can, um, maybe disseminate just a few more of these, maybe in the Slido as well. Uh, just a few other you know key tips on uh, on these. I really think they're really important, and you've already given me some great ideas to implement new policies. Um, I'll tell you
3: what, I'll just send you a list of, you know, uh, on our letterhead, I'll send it to you, Eric, and then you can either have me put it in Slido because I don't know what that means.
1: (laughs) That's okay. That is okay. Or I can pop it into Slido so everybody can see it, can see it. Um, So um, what I'm going to do now is go ahead and uh, and close out. And I want to wish all of our listeners, whatever holiday that you celebrate May it be a merry and happy one and to a prosperous and compliant new year. Thank you to all of you. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Kim. And cheers. Thank you for having me. It was nice to
3: see you
2: both again. Happy new year, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to the Employers Legal Lounge podcast presented by Michael Sullivan and Associates. Remember to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. We release new content every month ensuring you stay informed about the latest developments in California employment law. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, or would like to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us at msa.news podcast. We'll see you next month with another
1: episode of Employers Legal Lounge.